Hello and welcome to the commentary for Lesson 364. The reading was kind of all over the place. We read from 2 Chronicles 28 and then we went through 2 Kings parts of 15, 16, 17 through, and 18 as well. It seems it's kind of tying up all the loose ends and then tomorrow we will start reading Hosea, which is a totally different experience. So I look forward to that. Um, but here we have Ahaz. Remember King Ahaz? He was a very bad man. Um, he tried to be good in the beginning, but he married Jezebel. And Jezebel just got him totally off track. And um, he ended up being probably the, if not the worst king, one of the worst kings Um during this time. So it it starts in the beginning of our reading that King Ahaz is asking the king of Assyria for help. Remember, he was supposed to ask God for help, but he did not have God in his priorities at all. In fact, he started to follow after the kings of Damascus, the kings of these other king. Er, he's worshiping the gods of these other kings that had conquered him. Um, and it just goes from bad to worse here with King Ahaz. Um, it says in verse 19, The Lord was humbling Judah because of King Ahaz of Judah, for he had encouraged his people to sin and had been utterly unfaithful to the Lord. It gets into the nitty gritty of the details of the things he did, and it's horrible. I mean, I, I can't even imagine some of the things that we read. I just... I can't even imagine how God restrained himself just to not strike him down with a lightning bolt because you know that the things he did angered the Lord beyond measure. Um, verse 20 says, So when King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria arrived, because remember, King Ahaz had asked him for help, he comes and instead of helping him, he actually attacks him and the people of Judah. So yeah, that didn't go quite as planned. Um, Ahaz took valuable items from the Lord's temple, from the Lord's temple. Not only that, he, um, the royal palace and from the homes of his officials. Can you imagine being one of his officials and King Ahaz busting in with his guys, taking your belongings to pay off the king of Assyria, and it doesn't even work. The king of Assyria doesn't help them. After all, he just takes their stuff as plunder. So how upsetting for his officials. But what's even more upsetting is that King Ahaz, in chapter 16 of Second Kings, it says he goes to Damascus to meet with King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria. While he's there, he takes special note of the altar. This is an altar to a false god. Then he sent a model of the altar to Uriah the priest. This is an Israelite priest, okay? This is presumably from the line of the Levite tribe. These are holy men reserved for God's holy work. How horrific is it that Uriah the priest agrees to do all of this stuff? That just blows my mind. So Uriah follows the king's instructions from this design of this altar, and he has it built before King Ahaz even returns from Damascus. It's done. 
Wow. Then King Ahaz removed the old bronze altar. Now, this is a big deal. If you've been in this study since early Old Testament, you know that the structure, the way that the tabernacle and everything surrounding the tabernacle is structured per specific instructions from God to Moses, and this was all designed according to God's perfect plan. And here comes Ahaz. He's removing the old bronze altar from, the pa- from its place in front of the Lord's temple. Wow. Um, and then it goes into detail about the, um, how the offerings will be done. But he says he's going to use the bronze altar, the one that he took from the Lord's temple. The bronze altar, he says, will be for my personal use only. And here's the key to me anyways. Verse 16 says, Uriah the priest did just as King Ahaz commanded him. He's a priest of God. He's an Israelite priest from the line of the Levite tribe. And he did as King Ahaz commanded him. Man, how far they have slipped. And you got to wonder, did Uriah have a conscious a conscience about this? Did something inside him say, you better not do that. This is pretty important. Or was he afraid for his life? Did he feel that if he didn't do what King Ahaz said, that his life would be in jeopardy? Was that more important? His will to survive was more important than his will to serve and worship only the one true God? I mean, you got to know that he knew better, right? Or was he falling and slipping on this slide with King Ahaz the whole time and taking part in these shrines and these other worship, these altars worshiping these pagan gods? Probably. Second Chronicles 28 verse 24 says, The king took the various articles from the temple of God and broke them into pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple so that no one could worship there. So even if there were God's holy people left, they couldn't even get in there to worship God. Um, And he set up altars to pagan gods in every corner of Jerusalem. He made pagan shrines in all the towns of Judah for offering sacrifices to other gods. In this way, he aroused the anger of the Lord. Yes, I should say so. Okay, then King Hezekiah comes on the scene. This is Ahaz's son. And luckily, the pendulum is swinging in the opposite direction with Hezekiah. And it goes from one extreme to the other. And so King Hezekiah, he takes the throne um, at age 25. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. Now, he was the son of Ahaz, but his mother was not... Jezebel, thank goodness, his mother was Abijah, who was the daughter of Zechariah, the prophet. So he's from a good lineage, at least partially. Um, And he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made. This is interesting because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called 
Nehushtan. So that is interesting, right? Because you would think, well, if this is something that Moses made, you'd think that they could pay homage to it. But even good things can become an idol, okay? It, nothing should come before worship to the one true God. And so in this case, even though it was something good, Moses made it, it became an idol. They were offering sacrifices to it. And I don't know why Moses made, I don't remember ever seeing a reference to that serpent that Moses made. So I don't know how that plays into the Old Testament narrative of Moses, but that is an interesting fact that they took it too far. They worshiped that. And obviously that's detestable to the Lord. Um, verse 5 says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. Now, we will read later that... Um, even though he starts out good, he, he doesn't live a perfect, flawless life, and he doesn't have a perfect, flawless reign. Things do go sour um, over time, and we'll get to that later. But then it kind of goes, shifts gear, and it talks about, in Second Kings 15 and 17, it's kind of like, meanwhile, in Israel, right? Because we've been talking about Judah, um, changed hands from King Ahaz to King Hezekiah. And meanwhile, in Israel, we go from King Pekah, who is assassinated by Hosea. Of course, he becomes the new king. Hosea rules in Samaria, the capital of Israel, for nine years. And he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not as bad as the other kings that ruled before him. Then uh, scripture says that Hosea was forced to pay heavy tribute annually to Assyria, and he refused. After a while, he stopped paying it, um, and then he decided to conspire against the king of Assyria um, by talking to King So of Egypt and trying to kind of shake things up. Well, the king of Assyria discovers his plot, and he seizes Hosea and puts him in prison. So it seems that this Hosea, Hosea dude, his, his answer to everything was to conspire to kill somebody. Well, that's going to catch up with you, and uh, it does. It lands him in prison. Um, then we shift gears, and our next lesson will begin the study of Hosea. And Hosea is not to be confused with Hosea. This is a different different um, person. So just just know that. This is a beautiful story. It's very cyclical. It's really about um, God's people, Israel, and the ebb and flow of him allowing them to be punished and then them crying out and him bringing them back. And we saw that quite a bit through judges and kings um, that we're going to read. It's It becomes poetic and beautiful and I don't want to ruin it but the life of Hosea is really prophetic for um, all of Israel and we will see how that plays out I, I like the story of Hosea it'll be nice to kind of switch gears and do that so I think the takeaway is kind of tough for this lesson it's just kind of random it's kind of tying up loose ends and wrapping up the story of 
the kings so that we can get into Hosea. And we are not finished with kings. We will come back to kings. We'll come back to Isaiah. Um, but we're going to be in Hosea for a while. So that'll be that'll be nice. But really, that's it. Um, I hope you all are having a good week and hope you all have a good day. And I will talk to you soon.